You're listening to 100 p.m. at Industry, the product conference, episode one. Our guest is Mike Belsito, co-founder of Product Collective and co-organizer of Industry. 100 p.m. is the web's fastest growing resource for product managers. If you'd like to learn more about our guests, visit 100productmanagers.com slash industry and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you love what we're doing, please head over to iTunes and leave us a great review to help others discover our show. Let's dive in and say hello to Mike Belsito. I'm Mike Belsito, co-founder of Product Collective, which is a community for product people. And I'm one of the organizers behind Industry, the product conference, which is annual product conference that we put together for product people that takes place in Cleveland, Ohio every year, and now also Dublin, Ireland. Excellent. Take us back a step and tell us what is Product Collective. Product Collective is really a community for product people. That's why I always say, but the reason I say that is it's a place where product people can connect with one another can continue to learn as product people and also hopefully find some inspiration too. We do that in a number of ways and it all started actually from our conference industry. You know, what we noticed is that people were coming to industry because they wanted to not just learn from awesome product people and and find that inspiration, but also connect with people in the case of industry face to face. And when that happened that first year and people were saying, oh, this is this is awesome. We love that we're able to do these things. We started to think, how can we do this the other 363 days where industry isn't happening? So eventually what happened is we opened up Product Collective to essentially be sort of like a membership group. And in it, people subscribe to our newsletter. So you know, every week we're sharing awesome product content around very specific topics. So we, we it's a different topic every single week. But beyond that, we also allow product people to learn through our product lunch Q&A chat. So sometimes I call them webinars, but really they're, they're live video Q&A chat. So we'll, we'll feature a product leader and I'll have a conversation with them. And really it's just like a, a video call, except there's usually 300 people that are watching live and also asking questions of their own. And I kind of curate that on the spot. And then we, we have a Slack channel where there's about 3,000 plus product people that are a part of that. And they're constantly sharing ideas, best practices, looking for advice, that sort of thing. So when I say community, it's those things. Usually it happens online. It's either happening in Slack or it's happening in our Q&A chats, but people are connecting with one another all year round. And then, of course, we all meet in person at industry when we get together for our annual conferences. Right. Amazing. So sounds like there's a bit of a chicken and egg here that I want to parse out. One of your personal missions that you kind of proudly broadcast is to help product people. That's kind of like your why. Yes. And so I'm curious to know, did you, you know, wake up one day and say to yourself, I want to help product people. And then you thought, how can I do that? And then industry happened or did industry sort of form first? And then you realized, oh, that's what we're doing. We're helping product people. Like help us understand how all of this stuff came to life. Sure. Well, it definitely started when me and my partner, Paul, we were both working together, um, or at least, you know, kind of, um, you know, we were both friends really. And we both had separate projects. I had a full-time job. Paul had a full-time job as well, but other projects, but we both didn't realize that we were product people. Like I wouldn't even say we identified as product people quite yet. What happened is, um, oh, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of background on me. I've spent the last 13 years in early stage technology startup companies. So, and in all sorts of roles from being an 
employee number one, where I'm wearing so many hats, to being a co-founder, to really focusing more on business development type roles. What happened was back in 2014, I had a startup of my own that was acquired, but I always call it kind of a fail sale. This it wasn't the kind of acquisition <laughs> where it's, you know, I'm sitting on a beach for a while and, you know, contemplating life. This was kind of the acquisition where I need to get a job, you know, at some point soon. Um, and I, I knew eventually I might start another company. It's just at that point in time, it's not like I was working on anything in particular. There was a company, it was a ticketing technology company in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I'm from that recruited me to be a director of product strategy. And I remember, first of all, when they reached out, Googling almost instantly, what does a director of product strategy do? Because I had no idea. And actually, what does the director I, I was going to say, I still do? sort of have no idea. I mean, if you ask, you know, talk to 10 people at 10 different companies that have that role, you'd probably get 10 different answers is the reality of right. it. But it was intriguing enough for me to want to meet with them. And I remember in that first meeting with them, I was like, hey, I think this sounds cool. It's just, I don't know if I'd be perfect for it. Like, I, I never went to school for product management. And they said, oh, Mike, nobody went to school for product management. Like, that's not really a thing. You can't really do that. You know, usually people come into product roles from other adjacent areas. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I ended up taking that role. And it was interesting and it was it was fun, uh, but I definitely felt lost. You know, I was still trying to figure out what it meant to be a product person. And so I found myself reading books and, you know, reading blogs and listening to podcasts. And the thing is, the way that I love to learn most is through other people directly, like meeting them face to face, you know, asking them about challenges that they've gone through. And I realized that there wasn't, where I lived, a sort of a center of gravity pulling product people together where I could do that in one place. And there, there are definitely product people in Cleveland. It's just there wasn't any single thing that was pulling them. And I remember right at that time where I was realizing this, I spoke at a local technology conference that my now partner, Paul, had put on. So it was this not focusing on product. It was just sort of general tech and it was you know had a regional focus. And the topic I spoke on really didn't even have anything to do with product either. But I remember he had asked me for feedback as a speaker after that conference took place. And I said, you know, I think everything went well. You know, people seemed to like it. And, you know, you had a lot of people there. The energy was good. I go, but to be honest with you, you know, there's, there's a lot of these local tech conferences that are popping up. You know, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a product person. And I really haven't seen too many product conferences actually taking place. I'm like, you know what you should do? You should consider as a way to differentiate yourself, make it focused on product. Don't worry about the regional aspect of it. Just keep it broad about product. It just happens to be in Cleveland. That way, you know, you could get these product people. I'm like, selfishly for me, this way I could bring product people to me. <laughs> and he said, well, what if we were to do that together? And so that was the end of 2014 when we had that um, lunch. And that was the precursor for what ultimately became Industry and Product Collective. Really, it was just Paul already had some experience planning conferences. I was this new product person really trying to figure out what it meant to be product. And that first year, so that was the end of 2014. We had the actual first conference in 2015. It was the fall of 2015. And I remember because we thought that this would be a conference that people within, say, a two-hour drive might come to. You know, So we're in Cleveland, mm -hmm. so maybe we'd get people from Pittsburgh or 
or Detroit, but you know, not really farther out from that. That first year, we had people from 21 states and seven countries. And it was still 250 people, so it's not like this was this massive major conference, but at the same time, we felt like we were on to something, and it was something that struck a chord with us personally, and it was something that I was passionate about, Paul was passionate about, and so after that first conference, we sort of dedicated ourselves, not quite full-time yet, but dedicated ourselves to making this even bigger and better than what it was that first year. And yeah, so really, it just started with us as new product people trying to figure things out. And then the conference happened. And then after year two, that's when, you know, sort of product collective opened up more as a community. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I love what you're doing and obviously it resonates for me. I mean, a lot of your story I think is echoed in the journey that we have here at 100 Product Managers. Similar situation, right? Being based out in Los Angeles, watching this sort of burgeoning tech scene, beginning to understand that there's a different sort of feel and flavor for what tech looks like and how it operates in Southern California versus Northern California. Recognizing as an instructor of product management, recognizing that everybody seems to have these same kinds of questions, starting with what is product management. So, you know, we joke about you not really knowing what the director of product strategy role was about and still not really knowing what it was about. I think all of that is evidence for why resources like 100 p.m. resources like Product Collective and and resources like industry are so valuable at this exact moment in time. I totally agree. I mean, these, these types of resources, this is exactly what helped me when I was taking on that first role as a product person. So I created Product Collective really as something that I wish had existed when I was first getting started. But now that it does, and now that there are things like 100 product managers and the 100 p.m. podcast, like, like all the resources that you have as well, it's these are the things that I think can really help product people, given that there isn't this sort of formal education. It's funny. I also, as an aside, I teach one class a semester at Case Western Reserve University here in Cleveland. And this semester, um, I'm teaching, it's the very first time they've offered an undergraduate product management class. And so, wow. kind of, but it blows my mind because, I mean, on one level, by the way, when you're teaching something for the first time, it's a really low bar. Like you can't really say, you can't compare it to something that's in the past. So that's a that's one benefit for me. But it's a college like Case, it's a great college it's the first time they've ever had an undergraduate class on product management. So this type of formal education doesn't really exist in product management. So it's all these other resources that can really help product people. You know, they, they need to exist, in my opinion. Right. Let's go back a minute to before all of this started when you were working in tech, because what I think is interesting about this is you were an entrepreneur, you're in the tech space, and you yourself weren't a product person. Did you have product managers working in the companies that you were operating, or that was just a gap that you didn't even know needed to be filled? Yeah, it would be more of the latter, but I'll kind of correct myself because it's not as if I wasn't a product person, but I didn't know I was a product person or didn't really identify with being a product person. But if you really think about what needs to happen within the role, I suppose, especially for the startup that I co-founded, there are only six of us you know, total. I really was filling that gap as the, you know, needs that a company would have that a product person usually fills. But I wasn't, again, I didn't identify with being a product person necessarily. And I think, again, a part of it is I just hadn't been exposed to product management as a formal thing. Thinking back to my very first role, 
I worked for a company. I was at first I was employee number one. So I was the first full-time hire that they brought on within the company. And I was there for six years. When I had left, there were about 120 of us. It was a company that was doing about $30 million in revenue. So it the cool thing was I got to be there and have a front row seat at all the growth that the company had. But even in that company, I did at the very end, I guess there was, my title had product in the name. It was like product innovation manager. But I, I remember even back then saying, well, what, so what does this mean? Like, what should I be doing? And they're like, yeah, you just, you launch new products for us. It wasn't really deeply rooted in, hey, there's this thing, Mike, called product management, and there are frameworks that you could rely on, and there's people that you could bounce ideas off of. It really was just, well, keep growing in this startup, and now I guess I have to figure out what it means to launch new products for the company. So in a lot of ways, even though I had product in my title technically, I still didn't really identify with being a part of you know, this whole thing called product management. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a common experience. I mean, certainly I have a lot of students wander into my classroom and I say, you know, so why are you here in this course? And they tell me, well, I've just been promoted to the role of product manager, but I don't really know what that means. Or the inverse of it, which is I'm taking this course because I think I've been a product manager for the last three years, but I haven't had that title. But everybody that I talk to (laughs) keeps suggesting that might be what I'm doing. So I kind of want to see if that's true. I'm curious, so what advice would you offer to a CEO or or really more appropriately like a founder? What do you need to know or start thinking about differently in order to be more successful as the founder of a product business and then, you know, later to be able to identify the kinds of people you need on your team to have success? Yeah, well I will say the good news is that now There are all sorts of resources that are dedicated to founders that really you could change the word founder on the book and put product manager and it still would be totally relevant. The whole lean startup movement. I actually remember when eFuneral, which was my startup company, when we had launched, there was a person at this conference we were at and I'm like, oh, that guy looks like he's hawking books. Who is that? And somebody's like, oh, I think his name's Eric Reese. I'm like, oh, never heard of him. Because back then, nobody had heard of him. The lean startup hadn't really launched yet. Like, I think he had a blog, and that was kind of the only thing that would tie itself to lean startup. So, But that whole concept, it's totally relevant for product people, too. Obviously, there's differences if you're with a very established company. But if you're launching new products, there's the whole notion of building, measuring, learning, iteration, you know, all of that. Yes, it's going to be a little different if you're that six-person startup to a 600-person company, but the whole notion of iteration and and trying to experiment, that still is true. So what I would say is my advice to founders is pour yourself into those books and resources as well. But I would also start to remind yourself that it's either you or somebody on your team is a product person, right? Like, So if it's not the CEO, which probably is the CEO, but if it's not the CEO, maybe it's the CTO, but one of you is a product person and really just you know own that. And what that means is even if your title is CEO or CTO, you're a co-founder, you could join communities, whether it's 100 PM, Product Collective, you, know, you could start reading books that are geared towards product managers because those are the same things that you're going to need to do with your product. Obviously, at a very different stage, but I'd say, you know, the earlier the stage that you are, in a lot of ways, it's it's somewhat more beneficial because you you have the ability to experiment, you have the ability to make changes much more quickly than when you're at a, a larger established company. So 
That would be one part of it. And the other part of it would just be to meet as many other people that are in a similar situation that are maybe a couple stages ahead of you. So product people, maybe they're founders, but that they're at a point where, hey, no, we launched a few years back and now we're in that stage where we're finding product market fit. Like we're actually there. Now we're gearing up to scale. When you start putting people like that in your network and in your circle of friends, that will help you immensely too. I would also put people in that circle that that do identify as product people. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great advice for everyone as well, right? This idea of be in a room with people who know things that are different from you, not necessarily just people who know the same, because that's when different kinds of insights will surface. When is the right time to bring in an official product manager? So if, if all of this is true, right, you're, you're a founding CEO or a founding CTO, and you're the resident product person, and, you know, you're trying to get traction, you're trying to get to product market fit, you're trying to make the thing go. What do you think are the signs that it's time to bring in a dedicated person to be in that PM role? Yeah, this is a, it's a tricky one. I don't think that there's necessarily a right answer on this one. But from what I've seen work really well, companies that at the very beginning stage, the founder that adopts that product role as long as possible until really you're at a point where you feel like you're either you found product market fit or, or you, there's a path to it that, you know, might be that, Hey, we haven't gotten quite there yet where we're scaling, but we're, you know, we're halfway there. We can, I can actually see it now in front of us, but I need to bring a few more people on board to help get us there. And, you know, one of those first folks you might bring on board might be somebody that is in a more defined product role. I'm much more in favor of that versus having, you know, the very first role you bring on board somebody that is product. Let's just say you, there's two or three people that are co-founding a company and they, they raise a little bit of startup capital and they say, "All right, we have enough money, we're going to we're going to bring a few team members on board." Rather mm -hmm. than it say, "Okay, let's bring on, you know, a designer, three developers and a product manager and let's get that team cranking." I would say don't bring on that product manager quite yet. You need to be the product manager, you as the founder. Because really you you as the founder have to be or you at least you should be the one that is in front of customers often, getting feedback from customers, understanding what their pain points truly are. So I just think the longer that you can be in that role and empathize with customers, the better off your whole company will be. Once it gets to a point where you're like, hey, man, I'm doing this. I understand how to empathize with the customers. But the problem now is, you know, we're producing products that our customers like so much that I'm holding the team back because of everything else I need to do. That might be the time when you're bringing somebody else on board. That might be, it might be a year, it might be two years after you founded the company and your team's cranking before you're actually doing that. I think if it's much sooner before, like, again, if it's at the very beginning, you might bring on an awesome product person. They might do an awesome job for you. But I just think you then lose that perspective of being so close to customers, which I think is really, really important at the startup stage. Right. Absolutely. The I think it's Brian from Airbnb who has that quote, don't hire for any jobs that you haven't already done yourself, mm. which I think is, is tremendous advice. When you really start cooking with gas, you start to feel like I need help. And so that moment of I need help quickly leads people to the idea of bringing in bodies. I need help bring in a body. I need help bring in two bodies. And a lot of the times what can happen is you bring in a role that you don't even really know what is this role supposed to be for our company. 
which is, you know, leads back to this conundrum of what is product management to begin with, right? Because first of all, a lot of the product management positions that are being advertised don't necessarily come with the title product manager, right? You have people advertising for business analysts, you have, um, you know, people advertising for UX designers, but what that company is really looking for is somebody to encompass more of that holistic thinking. They just necessarily haven't titled it that way. And the gaps that you're being brought in to fill within any specific company are usually going to be specific to where are the gaps in that particular organization. So it's challenging to say we need a product manager and have that mean something universal and true in every instance. But I would say it's extra challenging if you yourself haven't been in that role or, or connected to what the product manager is going to be doing. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one of the, you know, when people are asking me about like the right time, it's just you have to be far enough where you can be close with customers, like you feel like, hey, I've actually done this role for quite some time, rather than, you know, outsource a product role to somebody else. Right, right. What's interesting to me is industry, the conference, is a product. Do you guys think absolutely? That a yes, absolutely. We treat it like a product, and every year we're trying to figure out, okay, what what features are no longer, you know, resonating with customers. You know, what needs aren't we solving that are there? And I think again, just us now that we identify as product people, it might not be your traditional tech product, but it absolutely is a product. Absolutely. So, 2017 conference that was the third year. Yes, that that's year that's three? right. Yep. So we're going to be heading into year four. You'll do it again in Cleveland in 2018, but you also are introducing this Dublin version. Exactly. Yeah. So industry. So you're doubling down on the <laughs> level of effort. I love this conference. I love that. I hadn't heard Very that folks, one yet. You so heard that's that great. First. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So we. I mean, really, it was kind of a factor of a couple different things. One. You know, we've we've grown considerably since we first launched. So the very first version of industry back in 2015, it was 250 people. And they did come from all over, although I would say, especially from the Midwest. I think that first year, it was like 70% of our attendees were from the Midwest, not necessarily from our home state. We had a lot of decent amount of people from Ohio, but it was people from Illinois and Indiana and uh, Michigan and, you know, just different places within the Midwest. 2017, so two years later, we've almost tripled in size from that first year. So it was about 700 people this past year from 37 U.S. states and, and 13 countries. So coming from even more places. And you know, at this point now, it was about 50% from the Midwest. So still definitely a big Midwest contingent, but we are seeing more people come from outside of the Midwest even, um, you know, coming all the way to Cleveland. So as we look ahead to 2018, we want to continue the momentum. You know, we want industry to be a place where people are coming from all over. And it's not necessarily our goal to be the biggest, but you know, we want to be the best product conference. We want people to have the best experience as product people. But one of the things that we noticed is we had people within Product Collective, our community, from Europe. And, you know, in some cases, it's not as easy to make the trip all the way out to the U.S. if you're a product person in Europe and you're working at maybe it's an early stage company or, you know, it's just even uh, larger organizations. So there's only so much budget you have to go to conferences and such. So we, people were asking us about, hey, you know, are you ever going to do a road show? Are you ever going to come to Europe? And 
a couple of things. My partner, Paul, he is from about 50 minutes drive. Actually, no, I think it's a little longer than that, but not too much longer from Dublin, Ireland. So he's in, uh, was originally from, I believe it was Tipperary. So he's an Irish fella, right? So he's been in the U.S. for a few years, but if you were to talk to him, you'd hear right away that, um, you know, he has an Irish accent. And um, But the thing is, in Dublin, it also happens to be the home of a lot of European headquarters for major tech companies, whether it's Google, Airbnb. Yeah, a lot of the major um, tech companies have their European headquarters right in Dublin. So we thought a combination of Paul sort of knowing the neighborhood already and the fact that if we were going to come to Europe, we preferred to do it in a place that already had a pretty strong tech base. And Dublin seemed to be just that. So yeah, it made us excited enough to launch Industry Europe, which will take place in April of 2018. And our goal for that is really drawing the same, you know, r- roughly same number of attendees we drew our very first year of industry. So, you know, won't be the thousand people that we'll have for our annual, you know, maybe our global conference, if you will. It'll be more around 250 to 300. So, you know, more intimate atmosphere. But the quality of the speakers we're bringing in and the product people that are already a part of it that doesn't change. You know, that won't be diminished just because it's a, you know, a little bit of a smaller group than the main conference. Exciting. How would you, in your words, differentiate industry, the product conference, from maybe more sort of well-established conferences like Mind the Product, which are, you know, having events all the time and, and fairly large-scale annual conferences? If I were a, a PM you know, with a a small budget available and I could choose one or the other, why might industry be the product conference for me? Yeah, I, you know, by the way, I love the work that Mind the Product has done. And there's a handful of other, you know, awesome product conferences that exist in the world. Not hundreds, though, you know, there's really very few. Mind the Product would be one of them. I actually just spoke at a conference in Lisbon, Portugal called Productized. That was a really nice conference as well. But I think with industry, you know, we approached it not to necessarily compare it to other conferences, but we tried to create something that we wanted as product people. So we were thinking about, well, hey, if we're going to spend time away from the office, you know, what what might we want that to look like? Well, one of the things is, again, given that the vast majority of the people that are coming to our conference, they're not from our area. So, you know, I, I know some conferences, they take place in the Bay Area. If you're in the Bay Area, it's really easy to cut out for the day and head there for a few hours and come back. Um, and you're you're at your desk the next day. For industry, you know, people are making the trip out for this. They're they're turning this into a, a you know multi day trip. You have to fly in for it unless you're you know really close to Cleveland, Ohio. So because of that, you know, industry it's two full days. The main conference is two full days. It's not a, you know single day and and then it's done. And then even beyond that, you know, we have a portion of the conference that you could come to for a third day um, for more intensive workshops. So part of it is. We want people to really spend as much time while they're going to be traveling anyway on growing themselves as a product person. So that's part of it. The other part of it is we, again, every year we're trying to create new features that can benefit product people. And so there's little things like, for instance, this past year, one of the things we introduced is for people that registered, we sent an email out and we said, hey, we know that a big part of coming to this conference is to connect with other product people. So let us know. Is that something that's important to you? If it is, if you want to connect with product people at industry, 
tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're looking for and what type of product people you want to meet, and we'll make introductions for you. We created this little survey, and we went through individually every single you know response that everybody sent. We had hundreds of them, and we personally matched everybody to a couple of people that we thought would be interesting for them to meet while they're at industry. So you know, for us, we're, we take a lot of personal time to make these connections, to you know pay attention to the details. The other part of it is we try to build out the experience for three groups. It's the attendee, which to me is the most important because without the attendee experience being solid, you know, no other part of it is going to be solid. But then there's also the speaker experience. There's the sponsor experience. And for us, we're trying to, like the big question is how do we maximize all three of those but keep the attendee experience as, as high as possible? So one of the things that we did is we had this whole product village is what we called it. And Suzanne, I know you were there, so you got a chance to see it, but it's everything is all in this same room. The stage where the speakers are speaking, you know, in the seating, that's in one part of the room. But in another part of the room, that's where we have our product village, where we have, you know, different vendors that are demoing their products to folks. That's where the happy hours are, the lunches. We really try to keep it all in one place so people can really take in the entire experience all at once, not say, okay, in this room, you know, this is where the speaking happens. And then um, downstairs in this small little nook, all the vendors are sort of crammed in over there too. No, we, we want the vendors to be a part of the experience too. And we want the vendors to help make industry, you know, even better than if they weren't a part of it. So it's hard to compare industry to other conferences, but just in terms of how do we differentiate ourselves and how do we make this as strong as possible for product people? That's just an example of some of the things that we like to do. Yeah, well, I will definitely echo that as a visitor to the conference, I think you absolutely succeeded in in creating that community feeling. I mean, first of all, the quality of the conversations, the speakers were excellent. Uh, you know, my the hardest part for me was having to duck out and conduct interviews when I really just wanted to be <laughs> sitting kind of front and center and and hearing everybody's talk, but you know, beautiful old theater. And it didn't feel for me like that typical exhibition floor either. It really felt like everyone was just kind of hanging out and talking about product. And sometimes the nature of those conversations were a little bit more um, consultative sales-based. If somebody saw a really cool analytics platform like Amplitude, then, you know, they wanted to hear more about it. And so there was that kind of conversation going on. Or it was just like, you know, hanging out over coffee and talking about cool product ideas. And I think you did a great job. I loved it. I'm going to be back. I don't know if I'm going to get to Dublin. I guess uh, I guess I'm going to have to check my calendar, but I think you're absolutely doing a great thing. And I really hope that certainly more of our listeners will have the opportunity to come in and check it out in 2018 as well. Thank you. I mean, you saying all that really means a lot because it's we definitely put a lot of our own personal touch into it, right? And so it's when we get feedback from folks afterwards. Like we want the critical feedback. That's really actually what helps us the most when we get that critical feedback. But we had a ton of feedback this year, kind of echoing what you said, and it really meant a lot to us. And so, you know, it's just a good feeling when you put a lot of, um, you know, your own, not just time and effort into it, but like your own personality into it. And it resonates with people like just as a cool feeling. So thank you for that. 
Absolutely. I know that you're a super positive guy, so this might be a difficult question for you to ask, <laughs> which is why I want to ask it. But so, you know, we're talking a lot about it's like rainbows and unicorns right now. Like, oh, product managers need resources. We're going to do this conference and year over year and it's amazing and it's all good. What about the less glamorous side of this journey that you kind of embarked on to? Maybe you didn't even sort of know what you're fully getting into. What has been really, really challenging for you in standing up this community and in standing up this conference over the years? Yeah. Well, first of all, by the way, this whole journey for me is rooted with a lot of lows, you know, in addition to highs too. First of all, it all started with my startup failing. So that wasn't a, you know, very awesome feeling, right? I'm like, hi, I need to get a job now. So what does that mean? But then I did get this opportunity, this product opportunity. What I should say though, is that first role for me was a challenging one. Like it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like they were really happy with me and and my efforts. But to me, I felt like, gosh, I feel like I'm faking this. I feel like I'm not, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember my boss constantly kind of reassuring me that like, we think you're doing awesome, but it never felt right to me. But again, I think a part of it is I didn't really have a lot of resources and, and people to turn to and help me through that. So that's a part of why we're building this is like, I felt like if this existed, and not to say that it would have been rainbows and unicorns by any means, it would still be really hard and challenging. And But it might have made that experience a little less painful for me. Now, with the specific experience of building Product Collective as a community and industry, you know, the first two years, keep in mind for us, I was part-time and and my partner was part-time, Paul. So right now there's two of us that are full-time. It's not like we're a big media company and we have lots of employees. It's two of us, but we're, you know, this has been a hundred percent bootstrap from day one. So it was our own money that went into it in the very beginning. And, you know, the very first year, and then this is the case with a lot of conferences, your first year won't necessarily be profitable. and, And we were no different. It wasn't, and we didn't lose a lot of money, but it wasn't some like, big major profitable thing for us and we had to i guess one of the hard things was because of that we had to make that call hey should we keep doing this like should we plan a second year because i guess there's you know we have less money in our bank account than when we started this whole thing and that was hard because it's not like either of us are well off and you know we both had full-time jobs and we both have families to support i mean both of us have two kids and you know they're young kids at that and But I think what helped us make the decision to continue forward is just immediately after that first conference, we started having attendee interviews. And most of the attendee interviews were really positive. And those that kind of gave us lower than like a 10 out of 10 or anything like that, things that they were giving us feedback on that we knew we could immediately do differently the next year and, you know, make a better experience for everybody. Like it wasn't, these weren't insurmountable things. So we eventually made the call to press on with a second version of industry, even though that first version, that wasn't this profitable venture where we could have kept moving forward. And by the way, when I say not profitable, I meant that's without even paying ourselves anything, right? Right. You know, now I stepped in full-time after year two and Paul stepped in full-time about six months after that or so. So still before this past industry, you know, industry yeah. 2017. And we're not this isn't something where we're paying ourselves, you know, the most that we would make on the open market if we were just employees at other companies, but but it's enough where we feel confident about our mortgage, you know, payments, you know, coming sure. through on time and and we're able to build a community that we feel like, 
you know, it's, it's something that's rewarding for us and it's actually helping people. So it definitely has not been rainbows and unicorns. And a lot of it's been really hard and a lot of the decisions that we had to make, they're tough calls to make, but, but ultimately that's sort of how it's, it's played out for us. And now, I mean, now again, even though, yeah, I probably could make a lot more money and salary on the open market if I was a director of product strategy, again, whatever the heck a director of product strategy does, but (laughs) this was, to me, like I couldn't imagine a better situation than the one we have right now in that we're able to create something that we wanted ourselves that's actually helping people and we're able to be sustainable for it, you know, without ever having taken outside investments or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, congratulations. I think a lot of folks listening in, especially, you know, anyone who's ever done side projects, which we advocate for, anybody who's ever, you know, launched their own business with with their own capital, that moment where you get to step fully into something that's been a side project or a passion project for years, that's a really big milestone. So I want to, you know, acknowledge you in that and congratulate both you and Paul for doing that. And in three years, that's really exciting. Thank you. I appreciate that. And by the way, I totally agree with you about the side project thing. Actually, I don't think there's ever been a part of my life where I haven't had some sort of thing on the side. Even now, you know, this is really my full focus, but teaching, you know, is kind of like a side project in a way. So I love always having some sort of side project. So I just wanted to share that too. Well, that's a nice segue for the question that I wanted to ask you. You shared a little bit what's on the product collective roadmap, you know, launching the next conference, obviously iterating on the existing conference, continuing to build out the community. What about Mike Belsito's personal roadmap? You know, you kind of accidentally happen into this role. You're going to do this teaching thing. Do you have an idea in your mind about things that you want to accomplish in the next two or three years around your career in product or just more broadly? I will say this. If in the next three years, Product Collective is in a place where our community is growing, industry is seen as the best product conference that's out there and, and it's grown as well. And, you know, we're having a regular cadence of Cleveland and Dublin, you know, as sort of the two, the the global conference and the European conference. I will be the happiest person in the world. I mean, for me, like this isn't something where it's like, hey, and in two or three years, let's exit the business and then we move up. Like for us, I could be doing this for the next 10 years and still be really excited and pumped for it. And honestly, I don't know that there's ever been a point in my life where I could have said that about something. Even eFuneral, which is my startup from the past where we kind of went the opposite route. We, you know, we raised outside capital from angel investors and venture capital. And once you take outside capital, you're sort of trained to think about an exit. And, you know, I think for us, it's just a lot different. So I don't know what the future looks like for me personally. Like, yes, there's some side things where there's teaching or podcasting. I, I have gotten, you know, to love podcasting too. But for me, I can't imagine my full-time focus not being product collective and industry for the foreseeable future. Awesome. Well, then we, we'll have to stay connected. Uh, before we wrap here, Mike, tell our listeners how they can get involved. If they're tuning in and they're just meeting you for the first time and hearing about this community for the first time, where can we send them so that they can start getting engaged? Yeah, the first place is productcollective.com. There, you'll be asked to sign up and it's free to sign up. It's just all signing up on Product Collective does is you'll start to get access to our resources like the Product Brief newsletter and you'll get invitations to the webinars and you don't have to attend those, but some of them might be of interest to you. And then 
also, you'll get an invite to our Slack channel. I love that. I mean, that's it's kind of tough to connect with thousands of other product people in one place. So the Slack channel is a really cool place. There's all sorts of different you know, sub channels, whether it's advice, feedback, you know, hiring, you know, some people have found jobs um, because of connections that they made through the product collective Slack channel. So that's the first part of it. Certainly, if you want to check industry out, there's a link to it through productcollective.com as well, but you could just go to industryconference.com and you can learn more about it there. Also, we we have our own podcast as well that we just got started with not long ago. I think we're on episode 11 or 12 or something, but it's called Build Launch Scale. And that's where we sit down with product people too. And you know, very similar to this, it's just getting to chat with product people and getting to learn from them. That's never a bad thing. So for us, I would say for people that want to learn more about what we're doing, those are the best ways to connect with me personally. I am on Twitter um, pretty regularly. It's just at Belcito and Product Collective is a Twitter too. It's just at Prod Collective. If sometimes the language sounds like it's one and the same, it's because it is. You know, I I manage that account. So does my partner Paul. So if you see on the Product Collective Twitter, there's more Irish terms than you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul's in charge of that at, at that moment. But uh, but yeah, those would probably be the best ways to get a hold of us. All right. Well, I apologize in advance if you end up with uh, hundreds, if not thousands of folks pinging you on Slack individually and saying, thanks, Mike, for being on 100 p.m. and being so open and making me feel invited to reach out to you directly for personal advice, et cetera. But you are on a mission to help product people, so you can't turn back now. No, I, I would love that. In fact, I'll take it one step further. If there was something that people... They wanted to connect with us, but they didn't want to join quite yet, or they, you know, didn't want to ask a question that was on Twitter. You always know, just email me. It's just Mike at productcollective.com. So I definitely am on email still too. Awesome. Mike, thank you for being such a, a gracious host to 100 PM at the 2017 industry conference. Thank you for being a part of the podcast and really looking forward to staying connected with you and uh, watching all of this unfold. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Suzanne. I really appreciate the support. Thank you for listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us get discovered by leaving a five-star rating and review right from your podcast app. Our mission is to help you excel at product management. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great free resources to help you on your path, including all of the recommendations from our fabulous guests week over week. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.